Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, our teaching is going to really rotate around a very important and fundamental law of the Spirit. I feel there's a picture that God wants to impress on your heart this afternoon. Very importantly, because this thing is one of the biggest causes of the mistakes majorly that I have seen among Christians. The errors, the offenses that we carry in the church. This thing that I'm going to share with you is the reason in marriages, in building careers, in ministry, you know, in whatever aspect of life there is, this law fundamental is important for you to understand. Because if you do, it will help you live an effortless life. Not that the challenges will not come, but you'll go through them so easy and without struggle or strife. Somebody shout hallelujah. Our God did not say that the sun would not shine. He only said it shall not smite thee. You see what I'm saying? So there's a provision of God to preserve you from the predicaments of life. We have had experiences, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9. This is his prayer for the church. He says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the first fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, and to the glory and praise of God. Like I said, we have seen experiences and there's something I want to show you from this portion before I even go deep into the message today. Here in the ninth verse, he says, love should abound in knowledge and in all judgment. I tell people love is the strongest force ever known because it exists in every dimension of the spirit and is defined one with God in the highest dimension of the Spirit. The Bible tells us God is love. You see? God is love. So it's a deep experience. And I always tell people that as you continue to mature in the things of God, as you transcend in the things of God, higher definitions in this law of love take course in your life because you realize the more or less the definition sometimes the easier sin comes our way. You understand? 
Okay, the love you have for your brother is not the love you have for your wife or husband. The love you have for your wife or husband is not the love you have for God. They vary. Therefore, okay, the love you have for your brother, family, is not the love you have for your normal friend who you go to school with. All of these are defined in dimensions. However, you can do something with your friend in love that compromises the higher law of love in God. You see what I'm saying? So, it's important that as you continue growing in love, you are growing in the perfect form, which is agape, the love which is of God. Okay? So, okay, she's your friend. Mm-hmm. And maybe you fall in love with her. Okay? But there are things you're not supposed to do because it's not yet that time. Isn't it? That's what the higher law of love is telling you. So you need to fall from that to actually express yourself in a lower law of love, which then would become sin. If you love her like God loves, then you'd not do this. You see what I'm saying? So every day, I think our walk really, as human beings, is to aspire to go to the higher forms of love because that's where the purity of conscience and truth are. But anyway, God tells you now that this love you're talking about swings in the pendulum of two experiences. One, it requires you to know. And two, because of that knowledge, it requires you to judge. Okay? For example, you're a parent, you love your child so much. You love them so much. And then, because you love them so much, you give them everything. So does your 12-year-old boy come and say, Mama, I want to take a cigarette. Then you tell her, Oh, my son, I love you so much. Which cigarette do you want? Sportsman. Rex. Are you following me, child of God? Do you give them cigarettes at 12 because you love them? And I think that's where now our Western friends are losing it. A 12-year-old, 11-year-old child cannot ask for a sex change. That brain is not yet mature to discern. Are you following what I'm saying? Say, oh no, let's give it to her. We love her so much. No, that's not love. Or rather, probably you're not judging right. See? So love dwells in the pendulum of knowledge and judgment. And sometimes there are things we deny as parents because we judge right. And in that judgment is the love of God. Say, I'm not going to do this for you. I'm not going to give you ice cream today because your teeth are black. You know, sometimes I see some teeth and I say, Pasa! and all the teeth are black. They are fried. <laughs> oh, they are full of sugar. You understand? Then one day you say, no, no more sugar. The kid throws a tantrum, I want my cake. And you say, no, you're losing your teeth. And some parents say, ah, no, don't worry, it's milk. Even if it's milk. Remember, when they grow permanent ones, you've given them a what? An addiction. So they are going to carry, you know, this thing until they grow. And you know what sugar can do? Okay? So that's not loving right. That's spoiling. That's how God deals with us. He deals with us in knowledge and judgment. He judges issues. And so he will love you according to his judgments. Somebody shout hallelujah. The next verse, where I wanted to lay my emphasis, verses 10 that you may approve the things most excellent. Because if you don't approve, if you don't learn to 
prove things, test things out, you will have offense eventually. And the Greek word there for offense is stumbling. You will stumble. You will error. You will make mistakes, unnecessary mistakes. Why? Because you have not learned one of the most fundamental laws that governs life and human function, which is proving things. The Bible says, prove all things in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 and hold fast to that which is good. God has given us a fundamental law to learn to prove everything before you give yourself into it, before you approve of it, before you apply, before you invest, you prove first. You test it. You know, <laughs> these guys are on a bus and then he sees a beautiful girl. Ah, I like that girl. Huh? Fall in love. By the time they're off the bus, they're planning marriage. That's our generation by them. Yeah? By the time they are crossing the road, they're entering the registrar's office. By the time they come out of the road to get into the taxi, take them back home, they're contemplating divorce. And before they reach home, they already have a child. Are you following what I'm saying? So you see this young man, he says, oh no, this marriage, no. So you ask him, okay, this woman you married, you take time to prove her that she's a wife. Or you just married a woman. The Bible says that find that a wife this man who is giving you headache every night, did you take time to prove him that he is husband material? Or you looked at a guy who reminded you of Salvador. Some very fake soap opera that happened in the early 2000s. That thing, women used to burn food and forget to cook because they need to come back at night to see this handsome guy on television and guess what women were thinking. Monday morning, the whole week, like people are just discussing that story. Are you following what I'm saying? Is that what you saw or you took time to prove this person? This business that somebody told you to invest all of that money into, did you take time to prove it? Or you just ran with what you thought? This contract you're signing, did you take time to prove it? Or you just signed the document because somebody put it before your eyes. Prove for yourself first and hold fast onto that which is good. Very fundamental truth. And then I start to see the imbalances because of the indifference that certain people carry in how much they commit their lives, their destinies, their dreams, their aspirations on things which by simple way and measurement are already wrong to tread or indulge into by reason of the simple principles that govern those worlds. I'll give you an example. If somebody's worth $10,000, that's all the money they have, including all their assets in life. They have $10,000. They are worth that money. Okay? And you are worth about half a million dollars. And then somebody who is worth $10,000 comes to give you a business deal to change your destiny. There's already a problem. Who has seen it? Exactly. The Bible says without controversy, the lesser is blessed by that, greater. There's no contradiction with the things of the Spirit. The less 
is blessed by the better. God has designed a law where a man of $1,000 cannot teach a millionaire to make the next million dollars. It doesn't work that way. So if they bring a multi-million dollar business to you, the first thing you do, you look for a man who is either a millionaire, in fact, above you. If you're a millionaire, look for a man who has two or three, four million, and then tell him, this thing looks convincing. What do you think? Usually God speaks. They don't even need to know God to be born again. But because you have honored that principle, because let me tell you, even without relationship, God honors principle. For example, the principle of seed and harvest. If a man plants a seed in the ground, whether they are born again or not, and the ground is right and the weather is there, it will sprout out. That's what the Bible says. It gives bread and rain to the heathen. He provides everything that you need. It says that you will not frustrate the laws of the Spirit in the name of relationship. That's why we have people who don't have a relationship with God, but are attuned to His laws and principles, and they do way better or more successfully in life than we do because we sometimes want to substitute the relationship we have with God for the excuse of Him providing for us in spite of how indifferent we are to His principles. And that's not how God works. It's like you're a parent, you have a child, you give them advice and tell them do this and then they refuse. Then you go outside and find another person's daughter and tell them something and they do it. And this child thinks that you're going to always be agreeable to them because you're their mother or father. That's not how life works. God has not designed the world to look that way. That's why recently the burden has become so heavy over the years that the church has to become more functionally, not only available, but applicable to meet the challenges that are happening in the world. Because if we don't, then the church is not going to be an answer in the years to come. Christians are preaching this gospel that is just, just preparing people for heaven. But they're not earthly functional. Do you think praying every night will build the economy? Common sense. That's why our leaders don't want to work with us. Because now we've also become those begging things that are always waiting, hanging out hands. Give me, give me, give me. The church is supposed to be empowering. It's supposed to be skilling. It is supposed to be educating. It is supposed to be teaching people how to do life. Because if that voice does not come from God, the world is designing systems, values, and cultures, generally speaking, that are going to destroy whatever we know, except we define the culture. It's time again for us pastors to go back and tell our young people, you need to work hard. you'll still be spiritual. You need to commit yourself to a dream and carry through. When you say you're going to be available, be available. Our young people need to understand these things. What we're teaching them is Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost touch, then they sit there. They're all full of the Holy Spirit, but they're not functional. Like, you hire them, eh? And you look at them, they look lost. <laughs> Tell your neighbor. <laughs> Are you following me? Back to what I was trying to say. So this guy gets his half a million dollar, four million dollar, and invests on the advice of a man who has only made ten thousand dollars on his life, and then it is fried. They lose everything, and then they say, "Oh, this person deceived me. 
Oh, the devil tempted me. No. No, no, no. You were just not wise according to the laws that God has given to govern life. And let's take advice from a millionaire or two because then they have been tested. They've been proved. Are you following what I'm saying? But you invest money on a person who doesn't have. That's why I get disturbed. When people put seminars, you call a guy He can't even afford rent and he's a speaker on the empowerment conference. You look at the guy. <laughs> he can't even wear clothes right. You know how they stand they had stand in this angle and they're in the empowerment they're preaching financial literacy. Brother you need more help sometimes than the people you're what you're teaching help yourself first then help others prove yourself then after proving yourself come and talk to me i'll share the young man and i've said this before who was giving an opinion of how his father built the house i didn't like his windows they were so high You see, Daddy, that is not serious. How can you go and buy those tiles? The Kaninja speaking these things is living under his father's roof. He has never even bought milk in the house. But he's trying to judge a man who bought wrong tiles. At least he has tiles. And now meet the entitled generation. Oh, and it's increasing in the 90 bonds. They are so demonically entitled. Huh? I don't know that you've met some of them. How can he buy me this shoe? <laughs> How can he buy you those shoes? Our generations, they bought us plastic shoes. You walk in the sun and the thing burns you. Oh, come on, do I have witnesses? <laughs> What do you mean? You don't even have money yet. And you're complaining. That generation is entitled. 25 but it still needs you to understand why it doesn't have a job and it's your responsibility to look after them it's how they are their parents we have a hard job there we have a hard job there let me tell you what the makers who are here nobody owes you nobody if you have school fees the shoe that's available take that one The clothes that they've given you take that one. They've given you only grab of groundnuts and popcorn because they can't afford house of manji biscuits. Take those ones. Are you following what I'm saying? I had a girl one day she says me I'm not going to school. They refused to give me requirements. You have fees. You have fees. You have fees. And you tell me you're not going to go to school because you have requ- you're not even going to die because at least you'll make some line and eat portion beans. Are you following what I'm saying? But this is the thing parents we are missing. We're not educating these kids right. We're not teaching them right. We're not teaching them to endure hardship and say some things might not reconcile sometimes but sometimes you have to yes, put on your game face and let's move on. Survive with whatever is there. You have a destiny. You see, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. 
That's a challenge. And I've noticed it happens especially in the generations that came from have not and then they had. When they had, eh? you came from a very poor family, you suffered, then you told yourself, my children will never suffer. And then you set up them in life to suffer because of the lessons you gave them. Tomorrow when they are gone, they cannot survive in the world which is coming. They can't. They're driving your cars, you know. <laughs> They're living in your houses. They're putting on your clothes. They're working with your ATMs. Because in your head, you think you're loving them. You're not. You're not. You're not. Because you who do those things left your father's house with nothing and made it. What your child needs to learn is how you made it from nothing. And those are the stories they need to hear when you're eating. Repeat them a hundred times if you have to. But they must understand that life does not hand over free lunch unless you're a product of somebody's business. Are you following me, child of God? So now, how do you explain proving things to a generation that wants things quick? How do you explain to them that you want to start a business, but it needs time to grow? It needs years to evolve and turn. It's going to be hot days and small days. A kid comes and tells you, Papa, I was at my workplace. I just got so stressed that I quit. <laughs> you assess why she quit, and it's not even 10% of the issues her mother went through to raise her. And tomorrow she's going to carry children too. And have a man. Hey. <laughs> oh. You need help. Help your kids. That is why everything that doesn't work, they quit quickly. Ah, this is not working. Two months of marriage. But I want out. Hey. <laughs> Our generation. You just go one generation before and see what their mothers went through to try to keep those marriages. Just go 20, 30 years back and see what women long ago. Today you find single mothers. Hmm? They have raised kids, taken them to school, given them the best in life, yet they were single. Two hands and two legs only and one brain. Better clap for them. Clap for single mothers. You see what I'm saying? Now, if your mother could raise you alone, you understand? Alone. You can't even get a job. One job. One job. And chances are that at her age, what she had, at your age, you don't have. Meaning, you are set up to fail except by God's grace these messages change you. Are you following what I'm saying? And I'm telling our generation, I don't care how educated you are. If pancakes will give you money, go on the road and sell them. Please do. If tomatoes will give you money, go on the road and sell them. If working as a cashier in multiplex will give you money and will pay your Go on the streets and sell tickets. Oh no, how did my OB see me? Let me tell you, if you carry that attitude, eventually one day they will see you. 
and they'll see you, unfortunately, in the place where you're not able to change much. I'm telling you, whatever comes. My first job was 100,000. It was not even enough to feed me. But you wake up every day and work. 4 a.m., 3 a.m. and up in Chikubo, downtown, offloading boxes. You go with a guy to offload boxes. You reach there. The tan boy becomes mad that the boss didn't pay him and he walks away. Now, you have two options. Either drive that car back or work with the driver. The driver tells you, ah, me, me, I'm doing my job. <laughs> you carry boxes. You're setting yourself up. You're setting yourself up. That's an approval process. Certain things are approving you. You might say, oh, so what's my return there? Like, what's my reward there? No. God is looking for the heart that would make sure that the boss will not lose money because a tan boy turned. You carry those boxes. You put them there. You're telling God that if I am saving another man's wealth from being destroyed because of the indifference of this fellow, one day you'll raise a man to save my own. That's what you're telling God. I was talking to somebody recently. I'm told our generation, they just wake up one day and they're not coming back to work. They don't even write resignation letters. They just absconded on duty. You start calling, Bananga Cynthia. Cynthia, hello? Cynthia, he says, they switch off and block you. And they are in front of the table, stretched legs in their mother's living room, watching a Chinese soap or a Mexican soap. And this woman is going to carry babies. For nine months, they will carry pangs and they are going to enter a man's house. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? This young man, he can't even wash utensils at home. He can't even brush his own shoes. He can't even lay his own bed. He can't even wash his own boxers. The guy is in the living room stretching his legs on Netflix. Playing a video game. And that's the boy who's going to come that day with your daughter. <laughs> Parents here, I want you to shout and say, far from me. And then tomorrow morning, you see the young girl holding her bag going to work. And the guy is saying, have a good day. And Samson stays in the house. <laughs> Banang, understand me. Understand me. But something is wrong with our generation. I don't know what it is, but understand me. Somebody shout amen. So how do you then marry a man who's not proved? How do you marry a girl who has not been proved? How do you invest with somebody who has not been proved? They've not handled money and you're selling your inheritance to go and invest with someone who doesn't understand money and then they burn it and then you blame them. No, it's your fault. It's your fault. 
It's your fault. When you look at the common denominator, you're the one. You find somebody, nothing has ever worked in their lives. Apostle, every business I start fails. Then you ask them, okay, who is the common denominator in this? You. So what has the government done to you? You know, they shift blame. But me, I'm done with men. I was a robot. He roboted me. I was with Peter. Peter, Peter, me. I was everybody you've dated. Everyone in that list has. And then you tell us the problem is men. No, our wives are happy. But what is that thing that brings the wrong ones? Urikoti. What's that thing that just attracts? that looks to destroy you because Satan probably has examined you. You don't take time to prove things. You don't examine. You don't take in to think and search out matters and find the meaning of things. And that's a life people live every day. I know a lady, she was on radio. Now this is not a story I had. This is a story I was in. I knew it. She's on radio. She switches on and then there's this wonderful prophet who people call in and then the prophet tells them their names, where they are from and what's wrong with them. You know those ones? So you're so and so, you're calling from this place. This is your problem. <gasps> Man of God! They faint on the radio. You hear them falling and then you say, ah, yeah, 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 this is the man. So this guy then says, tomorrow, we're going to have counseling. Those of you who are dealing, God wants to pay debt, da, da, da. So there's this lady, very successful businesswoman, has debts, manageable. She goes for this meeting to meet this man. They're in a small place there. They have gone for counseling and then she enters and tells the man of God, my problem is debt. The man of God tells her, in quotes, he's not a man of God. He takes her to a box and tells her, open that box, pick any money you want. One leaf. The box had dollars. So she picks the leaf. Tells her, go to town and confirm whether it is real money. She goes to town, puts it under a UV lamp in a Forex bureau, and the Forex bureau people tell her this money is legitimate. She comes back. This man now gives her instruction. All of that money in that box is going to be yours. So she has imagined those are millions of dollars. What you're going to do, you're going to go back, bring over, was it $200,000? And then we shall begin from there. She goes borrows some, gets the last savings of her account, borrows some from one bank, gets from the families, gets from everywhere, borrows from everywhere. In fact, even the people who gave money to her in the bank, they thought she was going to bring it that very evening or next morning. Ah, she takes the 200 or something thousand dollars there. Something gives it to the man. The man tells her, now this box, this is a key. This was fasting. When you're breaking your fasting in the evening, just open and thank your God. Carries a whole box full of dollars. Takes home. Evening, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. My destiny has changed. Gets the key that was given her to open the box. When she puts in the key, it doesn't enter. She passes out. She knows something's not right. Anyway, she wakes up and by faith tries to break the box. And she breaks the box. There's only money. She passed out again. Money borrowed. Police come, put her in prison. She sold everything she owned. It was still not enough to pay the money. Her life was destroyed from then on. She was never the same woman. 
was never the same person again. You ask this person, this place you went to, of a man who had a box of millions of dollars, how did the office look like? It was a small table. Small table, small chair. There was a girl, very cheap room, small room. It was like from here to here. And something doesn't tell you that a man with millions of dollars can't have this kind of office. There were already clues. There were already clues. Something can't tell you to prove them. And the man's just, oh, don't even get me started on people in this very room who have lost money in cryptocurrency. You thought I was not coming, eh? Oh no, oh no, oh no, I can't spare you, I'm like that. How, listen, I'm a banker so I know something. I probably might not be updated as to the bankers that have been here or probably are functioning now in practice, but I practiced for some time and I've kept my tabs on banking and economies and financial things. I'm there, my eyes are there a bit. The history of money, if you study it, okay? This evolved from barter trade and to the places where people were buying things with expensive metals like gold, silver, diamond, and the rest. And then these gold, silver, and things become so heavy. So that's the essence of banks. They create places where they can keep this gold. And then they'll give you a note, promissory note. Some notes still have that writing on. That against this note we have given you, with the salient features to prove that it is from us and signatures and whatever you need. We have your much gold. Are you following? And against this, you can trade. So somebody can have that and tell somebody, I want to buy your land. They can go back to the bank and reconcile and say, okay, we are going to adjust and remove these many grams or kilos from you, give them to this person. And that's how money comes. So money back in the day was against a fixed asset land, gold, or anything. You understand? That is when money was real. Economies have evolved. And you know, those complications that come with economies to read so much eh? and seem to know what they actually don't know. Because many of these guys didn't predict the recession we're going through. Wall Street didn't even look there. All their projections went south with all their wisdom. Why? Because some of them, even within there, they know the truth. Money is a fake asset because it's no longer printed against a real asset. See, it's just paper. You have paper in your hands. Now, you use common sense. Somebody tells me you're trading. Banks train people to trade. If you're cancelling or transacting between a fake asset, money, and another currency, it needs so much wisdom here. You don't just come with your village in Mitiana and then think I'm entering forex trade. It will burn you. But I'm learning to trade. Show me how many people, and I'm not saying people don't make money through forex trading, but show me how many millionaires in dollars you know out of forex trading. How many you know. Not how many you're told, but how many you know. If they're there, there are very few. So if a bank can take a person to school to study how forex trading works, they go through degrees, masters, they're studying things, and then they sit in processes to learn how to trade money, forex, to make money off trading currencies. For you, with your cavillage head, 
who you're trading because you're learning some mama. If I ask people who have been burnt by forex trading in this room, you'll be shocked at their hands, but they can't put them up. They can't. You see, they look at one um, shadow, zigalaba, rikata. They don't even tell their husbands or wives. You just tell them, where did that money go? Um, I invested it somewhere. Where? How can somebody bring such a silly Ponzi scheme that if you invest a hundred million, it will double in the month? <laughs> Would we be working? Never <laughs> now. You guys should also wake up. What? How many hours does somebody need to double everything you've given them? Would people even go to work anymore? Huh? You just go in the village, sell what you inherited, and it doubles every morning. I I want to make a hundred million every day or every month just by giving money. And where it goes, you don't know what they are doing with it. So now you have this problem. You're looking for the guy. That guy, yes, is not answering your calls now. And it's your fault. Why? Because you didn't take the common sense of proving all things. And that's our generation. Real wealth has a process. Let me tell you, let me tell you. There's a young man, he forgot something and then he burnt burning cryptocurrency. How much did he burn? Uh-huh, how much? $38 billion that didn't belong to him, that belonged to people who are working in NHS hospitals. Hard-earned money of women, single mothers who are working Four jobs on shift. They thrown their way and a boy burnt $38 billion in seconds. It wasn't his. He belonged, maybe even there's a believer here whose money was in that one which has been burned. You just need to follow the trail, eh? the process, eh? and then you'll find some guy who connected to the guy, but again, the real money was going to the other guy, which now eventually is in your money. Because let me tell you, easy come, don't be deceived. Wealth is not created like that. You have a process. Ask anybody who has touched real money. I'm not talking about these ones who show it off on television and talking about people who have earned money. There's a price and pattern for because that's how God has designed it. And then you say the man is wrong. Denying her. Safaricom, ay, 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 don't even say. Now there's another one going to come very soon. And you're going to hear it explode again. And people are going to put money in it. Oh, and then you hear Fanero member also. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? I know a man whose destiny has literally been destroyed. Because when he entered dinner in every closest friend he knew entered by him. There's one I served in this church. I warned them. <laughs> and it collapsed just a few days before I warned them. Now, everybody surrounding this person wants their money. And their destiny since then has not been the same again. Because some of you, if you actually study the Bible, you'll be shocked what gambling is. And if you read the Hebrew definition of gambling, D9 is gambling. 
forex trading is gambling. If you read the biblical definition, I'm sorry. <laughs> biblical. Now, I'm not taking your opinions of your economists. I'm talking about biblical. Zala. Are you following what I'm saying? But you know what the Bible says? It will eventually find its way back to some people here. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm warning somebody. I don't know who I'm warning, but I'm warning somebody. You're about to lose everything. Those small little get rich quick. No. Study and prove everything. Or at least have the wisdom and say, okay, let me first put in a little. And then wait and see what will come out. Some of you just say, you throw in everything, your leg and arm. So let's go. Now you're fried. If someone is hitting you, you can't go out. They will discover you're the one. You cannot not laugh because again, people will think, why are you sad? So you just need to... <laughs> God help us. First Samuel 17 gives us a fundamental lesson. David is called to kill Goliath. God has ordained him for that. Saul looks at this young man and he realizes he's not able to withstand this man. What does he do? He gets his armory and gives it to David. He says, you need this because at least if they kill you, some of this will protect you. And the Bible tells him for Samuel chapter 17, and Saul armed David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a cord of mail and David guarded his sword upon his armor and he assayed to go, for he had not proved it. I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. Why did he put off Saul's armor? Because he had not proved it. No matter how protective, how secure, how recommended it comes, how hard and steadied it is said to be. He said, I cannot wear something I've not proved. There are things I've proved. I have a slingshot. I know how this one works. And God gave Israel victory over a slingshot of a teenager because he invested more in what he knew how it works than studying his destiny on something he doesn't know how it works. And if I go in ministers, you realize that this armor, unlike many armors, this armor represented the mantle because they didn't go into the armory to get this armor. Saul gave him his own cover and said, go in my cover. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, if you don't understand how deep this is, that is why some of you can never be a success because the clouds that cover you are not enough to give the victory that only God can give by covenant. And sometimes you'll find yourself taking off even what has been guaranteed to secure you and steady you because you have chosen the deeper law of covenant with God. And you might look like you are in danger. You might appear like you have exposed yourself to destruction because you're not covered and endorsed by certain people or things. You might appear like you're not qualified enough because you don't have another man's cloud on you. But sometimes, 
it's what you need to establish what God has placed on your life for success. So what I'm saying here is I'm not against wearing mantles because they are mantles you can only receive from a man. God has not ordained them to fall from heaven. I'm only saying develop the wisdom of whatever mantle gets on your life because some mantles are too heavy to carry and they are too costly. And I know that without them you might feel vulnerable but sometimes it's that vulnerability God needs to build his power with you. Are you following what I'm saying? When you look at a man like Elijah, study him as a man. Elijah was a normal prophet, but he had another mantle. And the other mantle he had was the chariot and horsemen of Israel, but he did not know that he carried a mantle. You see, it's possible for somebody to actually carry a mantle they don't know they have. And there are patterns God has designed in scripture to allow or cause situations or circumstances for a man to discover what mantle is in their life. Because many of you know the gifts on your life, but you don't know the mantle you carry. And those two things are different. Gifts function without mantles. They can function without mantles. When a mantle comes, the authority on that man's life is deeper than what a gift could ever give. And to know the difference is great maturity. Because how can the horseman and chariot, remember when he's going up and Elisha says, my father, my father, the horseman and chariot of Israel, he literally had the mantle to protect the whole nation. But to show you that he did not know what he carried, he is running away from Ahab and Jezebel after killing more than 300 prophets. Is it 380 or something? He's running in a cave, running away because Jezebel said, the sun will not go down when I've not put a sword through this man. So indifferent to his responsibility that when he's in the cave, God asks him, what are you doing here? He's not talking to a prophet. He's talking to a mantle. He's talking to a mantle. What are you doing here? How can you run away? And when God explains the mantle in there, the assignment and mandate, spell continuation of God's work, God didn't even consider what's chasing the prophet. And remember, without that mantle, his vision is limited because the visions that come with mantles are different from the visions that come with gifts. How are 7,000 men hidden from you? If Elijah had discovered this mantle early. All of these 7,000 that had not bowed to Baal would have become more functional. But all he could meet was one after he comes out of the cave. And that was Elisha. Elisha was blessed that he was positioned. Elisha is there. He's the one who receives that mantle eventually. You started the life of Elisha and it was a whole process. It didn't happen in one day. It was a whole process of crowning. It was a whole process of earning the approval for the mantle he was to wear. God was not looking for just another prophet. He was looking for the right heart to wear the mantle when Elijah was ascending. Who has understood what I just said? He was not looking for an available prophet. He was looking for an available and disciplined, chastised prophet to carry the mantle of fathering that generation. Because there's a difference between being a prophet in a nation and being a prophet to the nation. There's a difference between being a big businessman in your nation and being a businessman to your nation. To, not in, to. You understand what I'm saying? So I see people who are carrying mantles. It doesn't matter how far they carry them. They're only going to carry 
them as yokes heavy over their necks until the day they leave this world. They will never propel, they will never progress, they will never evolve. Why? Because the thing they are carrying on them has not been a dealing of God. It was just the spirit of a man lasting of the glory he saw on the gifted without his vision for what the mantle was. And I've seen men ascend and they left mantles, yet imparted gifts. To receive a healing anointing does not mean that you have received the mantle of your generation. Benson in Dahosa had met God and he was functional. If you read the story of Nigeria. But he says, when I met T.L. Osborne and Daisy, everything I am is because of what they put in me. He was talking about a mantle here, not a healing grace. Not a healing grace. That's how he fathers Nigeria. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, David is in trouble because if he wears what he has not proved, then matter the covenant he has, they will kill him on that field. Because God can withdraw assignments, not gifts. The gifts and callings are without repentance. Moses had an assignment to take the children of Israel into the promised land. Did he reach there? No. God took back the assignment and gave it to Joshua. Took this man up to the mountain and said, look, you look, but you're not going to enter there. Why? Because he did not understand what now God is teaching us. We're not judging him. The Bible says they are written a for these scriptures. For your learning, God has allowed some of these mistakes to educate us. So we understand how the world works. How you stand before mantled people matters. And mantles are not only through the church. They are mantles in business. They are mantles in education. They are mantles in your judicial. They are mantles in you. They are mantles everywhere. They are mantles in marriage. They are mantles. You must know how to receive grace. Because I said there are things that don't come from heaven. They come through individuals. The Bible says that there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. Oil is the anointing. There is anointings in the dwelling of the wise. And there is a treasure to be desired. Not just treasure, but to be desired. That means when you're sitting next to somebody with a seed of greatness, or who carries a mantle that should propel you to the next level? Sit with a divine desire to receive. You understand? Don't relate with them like they're normal people. One wise man told that a gift from a king or a sage, sage is people with ancient wisdom, people with wisdom older than them. Hmm? A gift from a king or a sage is more than gold or silver. It's a seed of hope and faith in your destiny. That even if a man greater than you buys you a drink, offers you water, God is instructing you there. God is instructing you there. Now, you may say, oh, no, this guy is buying me this juice because he's my OB. Or this woman is buying me this water because he's my friend. I knew him before he went to parliament. You understand? No, 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 no. If they have been elevated in a greater grace, they're no longer buying you juice because they're elevated. That's a seed of hope. It's speaking into your destiny. And you can connect to what is inside your life. If you know how to work with that brother, you can easily be elevated by connecting with a man greater. Are you following what I'm saying? 
and oil in their dwelling. Some people, you just need to sit near them and everything on them will start to come. I'm telling you. You just hang around them and you start to see your finances change, your life change, your marriage change. You're just hanging around somebody with a certain anointing. Oh, and then you abuse that. How? You treat as common what God has anointed. That was a problem with Peter. God is telling him, kill this thing and eat it. Peter says, no, I won't eat. I won't eat. I won't eat. It's unclean. No. Uncleanliness with Peter is really the familiarity of a conscience that has not evolved in divine oracle because it has not been instructed in the patterns of how God works. He wants to open the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul is going to rise up one day and do more than all of you 12 did. But you don't have a clue that his deepest work is going to be in the Gentile church. And one day when yours is killed in 70 AD, the Gentile church will thrive. Till now, the Gentile church is bigger than the Jewish church. Are you following what I'm saying? Some of you, the reason why you're stuck, you treated the next person who could have propelled you to your next place of blessing and you treated them as common. And now you're seeking God because you think he's going to, you know, and now he's pattern just to fit the convenience of your ignorance. That's not how God works. It's not how God works. Yes, we have times where you sit down with a greater one and you're just talking, you know, jokes. Ah, football, Croatia, Germany, huh? yeah. But when they switch, have wisdom to know they've switched. I tell you, you should never be louder or talk more in the presence of somebody greater than you. Never. Because sometimes the mark that should heal or deliver you might come in the next sentence you hushed to give your opinion. Wait, wait, wait. In fact, let me first explain. Let me interrupt you. Meanwhile, I had a, and you've missed something. You've missed something right there because you must talk. No, when you're done with this, then you can go and talk these other, you know, when you're joking and, you know, that's okay. It's healthy, by the way, to talk and laugh and, but the time comes when you can sense that this person I'm actually speaking and the office and grace they're speaking into right now is not the credentials of man-made pattern. God is constructing something out of these words. Hush. Your spirit starts to receive. Your heart is writing notes. And after that, you can love. After that, you can love. You're the poor one. You're the one broke. You're the one with trouble. You're the one talking most. The man has come to point to you something. And then, and then the dog. Then after the dog, then the cat. Even drink some water. As I was saying. <laughs> if somebody is richer than you, learn. Observe their ways. One of the richest groups in Uganda, they smiley. The Aga Khan group. Hmm? I'm a banker, so I know what I'm saying. These guys every week, constantly, I'm told, they take time to meet. 
and exchange graces through conversations that are speaking into their destinies according to their businesses, crafts, giftings. They're exchanging things. Something is happening. Energies are being exchanged. There's impartations and exchanges. You see one community succeed every day. And our Ugandans just meet to discuss. <laughs> Cristiano, Cristiano. Ronaldo, but Ronaldo. You don't find Ishmaelis in clubs. They have very disciplined lives. 6 p.m. they're in their homes with their wives and children. Or in a gym. Everything is patterned and disciplined. And you ask yourself why those guys are almost going to pay more than close to 60% of our taxes in this nation. For you, every time you're meeting, you're talking about movies, you're talking about politics that don't, you're even cutting out of rumor. You just had. You're discussing people's families, you're discussing people's wives, you're discussing people's children, you're discussing people's cars. You're going to now go for lunch and talk on someone's shoe. And then you lift your hands. Father, I receive. I receive. What do you mean you receive? Are you following what I'm saying? All to be desired. Elisha is a pattern. For as long as the Lord lives, wherever you go, I'll go. What is he trying to do? He's trying to connect to something bigger than his gift. And some of you, God sent those people. You just abused them. And now you're asking why your finances are dying, your spirit is dying, your body is dying. You abused. You abused. You abused them. Take relationships serious and analyze the relationships you keep. Know who pours into you and who doesn't. Do you understand what I'm saying? Be very strategic on your relationships. There's some people you shouldn't eat with. That's what the Bible says. And these you ought not to eat with them. That's what the Bible says. It is so spiritual that there are some people, if you sit down on food with them, you could dim your star. This is biblical. First Corinthians 5.11, with such no not to eat. You shouldn't eat with some people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because food is spiritual. So you say, let's go for lunch. Tea. No, there are people I can't eat with. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm trying to tell you? These are principles written in scripture. They are patterns you're not going to take away because they're older than you. You're not going to change them next tomorrow. So if you want to even take me in the anointing, those three things, the anointing is anointed and the anointed things. The spiritual artifacts, the things you don't see, but carry form and existence in the spirit realm. When you say the sword of the spirit, what do you mean? Is it like a real, real sword like somebody's holding? No, but it has a form in the spirit. It's called a sword. The shield of faith. Does it have a physical picture that can come to you? What you'll have is a Roman soldier. But spiritually, it's an artifact. It's called a shield. Your shield and buckler. Do you understand? How do children become arrows? In a man's quiver. How do you do that? What kind of prayer do you make for your child to become functional? 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So, like I always tell you, the spirit realm is not what you see. No man just makes it. People just don't wake up and become. There are other things. They might not have the language for them, know the power to articulate them, or even the leading to explain to you. But people just don't become. You don't just start a business and it's going to become successful because everyone is dealing with it. There's something more. You just don't know. You don't just start a ministry and think that because you have a good message and you can borrow messages on YouTube, <laughs> you understand? You are gifted and you can copy a certain preacher and read a book, therefore you're going to run ministry. No! Ask men who have tried it. There's that extra language and authority that we don't explain. So it is with marriage. You don't think that because you're beautiful, eh? Therefore, they are going to propose to you. Hey. Hey, hey. Hey, let me add the fourth one. No. No. Don't think that because you have money, therefore you have it. No. There are other principles that are underlying, and I'm trying to teach you some of these things. You could have all the money in the world, but you're not proved. You could have all the gifts in the world, but you're not approved a worker. So the Bible says, study that you might be approved a worker. Rightly dividing the word of truth that you needeth not to be ashamed. It is true. God has never appointed a man he has not approved. Never do it. Never do it. In Timothy chapter 3, when he's talking about the bishop, he says if a man requires the office of a bishop, he requires a good thing. He must be husband, one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, and all of these kinds of things, even all of that. And then he comes into the requirements of deacons. He says, if a deacon wants this, he must be that, he must be that, he must be that. Verse 10. And all these also first be proved. Then let them use the office. All of them approved. So it's more than just the gift. Huh? Somebody says, oh, I want to enter ushering. First prove them. You just look a beautiful girl and think that she can make people sit. No. As a leader, tell him first sit in church. Be accountable. Let me study you for a few months and see. Are you going to evolve? Are you going to change? Are you going to grow? I want to see the fruit of you before we say enter this. That is why when we are appointing some people in the church, we also want to get recommendations from other people who know them. We're trying to prove somebody. I don't just wake up and say, because this guy is a good preacher, I'm going to bring him on my pulpit. No. I have a responsibility for this pulpit. There's a work there. It is God's work. I must prove them first. Because I can get a guy here and he destroys the church. And if you are still in the inferior interpretation of life, you think everyone who speaks truth actually carries the spirit of truth. No. A man can borrow phrases with a dead heart. The Bible says they worship me with their mouth but their heart is far. Falsehood spiritually does not mean that a man will speak wrong. And being untrue does not mean that a man is not accurate in doctrine. A man can speak accurately in doctrine but untrue in the spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, some of you have not walked where you've walked. Let me tell you, I served with people. A man can speak a very accurate message then you sit in the car and he's seated next to you and then he says I'm disappointed in how much I collected 
everything in you is stricken. Because with all the gift God has given him in this world, he was preaching to make sure he would convince you to give as much money as you could. That message you give a man who is even quoting the very scripture is abusing because the heart is far. Now, never forget this. The rewards of God are quick. The judgments tarry. The judgments tarry. God quickly rewards. But when he's judging a work, it tarries. I think there's a portion of scripture that speaks of that. Ecclesiastes 8, 11. Sentence on an evil work is done one. Is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. God does not easily execute sentence. There's a man in scripture, God judged his death seven months before, and he was okay until the seventh month. He was taken out. This thing is long. It can meet you 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, and remind you, do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, but we are under grace. So, should we continue to sin so the grace of God should abound? Well, at least in your weakness, you see, there's nothing as beautiful as a man repentant. No matter how crazy you are, be repentant. But the day you justify evil to him that knoweth to do and doeth not. You see, the day you justify, you get to a place where you're justifying it. It's dangerous. Repent. God can forgive you, will forgive you always. His grace is available for you. Don't abuse his long-suffering. God is patient with you to repent. He's not patient with you to continue being crazy. Do you understand, child of God? Am I helping somebody? So, be very, very vigilant to study your life, especially in the way of patterning your life. In the course of what God really requires of you, it is costly to bend sometimes. But you see, that process I'm talking about in Elisha, that price is something we don't have a conversation for in church. Because those three letters in that scripture, give honor to whom honor is due. That word due, those three letters. That word due comes with a process. Praise to whom praise is due. Custom to whom custom is due. That comes with a process. So I said, you're dealing with a generation that wants a product without its process. And that's the danger. There was a young man I raised years ago. Very gifted. Very gifted. Extremely gifted. So I started to prove him because we prove men. Nobody's around me that I've not proved. Oh, back in the day, I used to. I have my wounds. I burnt my hands. I have scars because I used to let everyone in. But now I'm wiser, I'm mature. It took me 10 years, but I understood it. I don't just let people in my circle. I'm not proud. I love people. I love people. I live to serve you. I've been serving you for as long as you remember. I have no life except to serve you. When I am praying, I pray the whole night and I mention you. I spend hours praying for you. 
So I do love you. But not everybody is ready for certain positions in your personal life. So it should be also with mine. Do you think everybody can prophesy on me? No. I just won't boss, but I know my rank. And when I'm talking about everybody, I'm not talking about levels of anointing. No, I'm talking about how much a man's heart is yielded to God. I have met four-year-olds and they've spoken to me oracles that some men, even with their years of theology, cannot speak into my life. So I know what I'm saying. You understand? Because I know my rank. But I'm not saying that I undermine people's prophecies. I'm only trying to say I've also learned the wisdom of who can speak into my life and who can't. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not everybody can speak into your life. I'm not saying that because someone is young or they didn't go to school. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. One time I met a very old woman and she started speaking. And I had the voice. God told me, it's me. I knelt down. And she spoke into my life. Not a church person, normal woman. But I can tell when God is speaking through somebody. And I can tell when politics is speaking. I can tell when a dry brook is speaking. I can tell when cramped phrases are declaring things. And when a man is praying from the authority of a heart that is imparting something in my spirit. So you should also. Not everybody should just come and think that they, yeah, I'm not saying, tell them, you, you don't preface that. No, no, no. I'll say, oh, thank you. But I'll leave it there. Thank you. Take it in humility. The Bible says, you prove all things. You take a hold of that which is good. The bad, you leave it there and move on. Are you following what I'm saying? So there's this young man I was trying to tell you. I was so desperate to see God working in him because I loved the gift of this young man. I could see where he was going. So the Lord showed me a weakness in his life and told me, test this one, prove him on this. So one day I gave him a huge amount of money and deliberately I don't ask for my change. The Lord said, wait and see whether he'll give you the change. He did not. Four times he cheated me. And in all of those four times, I never told him anything. I acted like I'd forgotten. Because sometimes this foolishness that comes with the gospel will sometimes require you to be indifferent and look away and be as one which has no understanding. Because it's only in there that you'll gain the wisdom of God to understand things right. People confuse that humility for ignorance. And sometimes you realize that Sometimes you even have to get... You remember the man in scripture who undressed himself and acted mad because he needed to serve a destiny and a nation. But in there was the wisdom. Sometimes God will even teach you sometimes to look like you don't know what you're saying, to appear like you're learning what they're teaching you, yet you can even tell they don't know what they're saying. You understand? There are times, <laughs> one time I met a man who was so far from God. So far. And the Lord told me, for you to win this one, you have to go as a son. <laughs> Don't go as a father. I said, our father, how are you? And 
my son. And he declared fatherhood over me. In my spirit, I know he can't father me. He can't. He's far. And I'm not speaking out of pride. I'm a father. I know the price of fathering. He can't. But I have to be a son to save him. Jesus had to become a son to save men. Yet he was Lord. Did you get it? Yet he was Lord. So God sometimes will require you to kneel, to break, to bend for the bigger picture because that's also your process. See, now, one of those days I give this young man money we're going to preach somewhere. So I give him money for fuel in his car. And then as I just took off, we're going the same direction. The Spirit of the Lord told me, follow him. So I waited for him to disappear a little while. And then I followed because I could see. He went on the petrol station to fuel. The Lord told me, wait. When they're about to pull out the pump, drive to the petrol station. So I drive to the petrol station immediately as they just pulled out the pump, finishing, almost locking. And I saw the digits. And he had put in, I think, 20% of the money I gave him. I didn't mention anything. Interestingly, the Lord blinded the boy. He didn't see me. So we drove to the ministry. We reached there and the guy comes back to me and says, Papa, the fuel is over. I was so broken. I was so broken. You know what I did? I got more money and added him. I said, oh, sorry. You know this car's gazo. He added more fuel and then he reached his destination. This was a father ready to pay every price because the money I was giving at that particular point was not worth the boy's destiny I was trying to save. It wasn't. So, and I'm not telling you these things to boast. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying to construct a certain mind in somebody because it will help you. And I realize that sometimes you're going to have to spend even on people who might never appreciate you because sometimes you're trying to call out something. You're trying to call out something. You're a midwife trying to tell them, push this kid. I'll drip with your blood. I'll, you know, but it has to come out. So the price is there. You see, and in that, somebody can even complain and say, now you see the money he gave me. Even become a problem. And if you are easily offended, then maybe you're not ready for what you're asking for. So you swallow that offense. You act like you don't know what you're doing. You keep on investing. The time came one day and the Lord tells me, now it's enough. Let him be. Went and wept because no father wants to lose a child. None. I understand why the tears of Samuel in the bedroom, weeping for the restoration of Saul, and God comes to him and tells him, Weep no more for Saul, for I have raised another in his stead. He's weeping because they want to lose Saul. But that's who they are, it's the cost they've chosen. Parents understand this, especially if you've struggled with a child who you've tried and tried and they just don't seem to understand it. They steal money, and this woman gets her money and takes to pay. 
the debt or the money owed and take this kid out of trouble. And tomorrow, the same kid is even messing up more than before. It doesn't mean that the parent is stupid. No. Sometimes you're exercising patience because you want to win better. And sometimes, because they later realize the sacrifice. Because he that is forgiven much, when they recognize that they give much, but some never return. And that's the pain of parenthood. You see what I'm saying? Those are the things that make us who we are. Those are the things that make us who we are. Those are the things, those silent things that many people will never know. But every man that is a success in this world is a process. It's there. You just don't see it. You just don't see it. Whether it's financial or in their workplace or they have been elevated in the ranks, you know, in, in, the, in the military, wherever they are, there's always a process. And somebody thinks they're going to bypass that process and score. Life does not work that way. All these must be proved. This one I called late. Not because I needed them. I just wanted to see what was in their heart. Do this for me. Oh, you know, I said, don't worry. Not that I needed them. But sometimes those tests are there. And I'm not talking about reverse psychology. Some people call it reverse psychology. Where you're pretending like you intended something which you actually didn't intend. I have a story of a young man who was in a restaurant. And then this woman had a bag. He wants to steal it. <laughs> so a guy comes to grab it. When he grabs it, by God's grace, this woman had overrolled it somehow and she had strength. So when he pulls like this, ah, she screams. And then realizes he can't take it. He releases it. And then laughs and says, <laughs> was playing with you. That's <laughs> reverse psychology. Okay, really, 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 honestly, were you really playing with this woman or you wanted to steal her bag? Okay, now that's for us who say we are proving people. Are you really proving or there was something else? Okay, again, God examines the heart. Okay? 2 Corinthians 8, 21, we have to provide for honest things, not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent them, this is now Paul speaking, with our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Now, he has a guy who is collecting offertory. And this is a guy they proved many, 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 many times. When you understand that, you'll know why even when Judas was stealing, Jesus used to look away. He was trying to prove him. Has he changed? No. Okay. Give more. Has he changed? No. Give more. Has he changed? And I see some other disciples saying, this guy can heal the sick, but he cannot see the guy Stealing money every day. Oh no. If you're already part of the followers, you're already even wrong to judge who you follow. Who has understood it? You're already wrong to judge who you follow. <laughs> because leadership means he's ahead of you. 
and it might not match your comfort, but he's ahead of you. He sees some things you don't see. You don't need to say them. I can see someone saying, hey, Jesus, eh? If he's that guy, can you have someone robbing that you're doing nothing about it? Some of them, we see them robbing and look away. As somebody says, I left the church because he was promoting sin. I was not promoting the sin. I was bleeding. But they needed the patience of Christ. Like you needed it to one day in your madness. And now you're not willing to extend the very grace you ask of God every morning. That self-righteousness has no place in this ministry. These guys were proved oftentimes. The people you work with, do you prove them? That's why interviews come. We interview people to prove them whether what they say in their credences agrees with what we see. That's why we give ourselves to God. The Bible speaks of exercising ourselves unto godliness. Because we're in the process of approving ourselves. It's never going to be about the recommendation you give of yourself, but the recommendation God can only give on you. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 10, verses 17, he says, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Seek God to commend you and approve you. Never sit in a place to try to introduce yourself and try to speak what you have and who you are. Let God introduce you. It is beautiful when He Himself blesses you in places that you have not struggled to have. As people struggling for fame, as people struggling to have influence, I see them struggle to connect with powerful people. I see them do things. And then I know people who just sit back and wait because they know. Let me tell you, if you're ever approved of a man without the hand of God, it doesn't matter how high you go, it's the harder you will fall. But if God ever approves you, no man can take you out. So, I would rather be patient and sit in the back and wait for that grace that will bring me on the front seat to sit with the king than earning my right through politics and conflict and manipulation to make sure that I get my part. There, no. Wait on God. Wait on God. He knows how to approve. Just keep exercising yourself. Do the process. Serve your God. Prove things. When the time comes, and you're approved, you'll see how things reconcile in the spirit like never before. Don't just enter marriage, prove it. Don't just enter a business, prove it. Don't just serve in ministry, prove it. But also allow to go through the process of being approved. I see young men who come to Fanero, or women. Guy sits there for two weeks. And the next day he wants to be a pastor. You're in the wrong church. in the wrong church. Osha sat under me for 10 years and I would not allow her to speak. Not because she didn't have a gifting. Because here, I don't exalt gifting. 
above principle. That's not me. You have to be proved. That is why none of these men here, seated or women standing here, have not led an example. They have, because they are proved. If they've made mistakes, they will make them as those who are proved. In other words, not that God justifies their weakness, but if they're in weakness, but yet approved, you'll see them repent out as men who know the seriousness of their mandate. Are you following what I'm saying? Because if you don't go the God's way, the world will prove you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Can you clap for Jesus and thank him? Oh, my goodness. I want you to raise your voice and speak to God. In here is repentance. In here is direction. Somebody needs direction. Somebody needs help. Somebody is stuck. You know, there are people here because of what I've just shared. You've now understood why you're stuck. Literally, you're stuck. The anointing on your life is stale. The brook is drying. The finances, your health. Things are just falling out of line. But then it's not that the devil. No, no, no. It's these things. It's these things. And today, God is going to heal you today. He's going to heal you today. Father, I thank you. In the name of Jesus, the word of God has been planted so deeply and I believe that it now bears root and brings forth fruit that it is going to echo through eternity. God will receive the wisdom to prove all things and I decree and declare over every man and woman at the sound of my voice that these words that have been spoken have aligned, healed, restored much of things that could have destroyed or in which you could have stumbled. I decree upon you in the name of Jesus that the wisdom to prove all things will abide with you always. In Jesus' name I prayed and believed. Amen. For those of you who want to give your life to Jesus, if you said today, I want to take Jesus as my Lord and Savior. There is no second or third guessing. Today is your day, not tomorrow. I cannot guarantee tomorrow, but today I know that God has spoken to your heart. Repeat these words after me. Say, Father, I thank you for your word today. I have believed your message that you died for my sins and was raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. And for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.